Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys, everybody here? Come have a seat. Come sit down. Hey guys. You people that are facing the wrong way are missing all sorts of good stuff right now. You guys, what? I don't know what the deal is. What? What? It's not funny. What is the deal? <laughs> Let me take this off. It's, it's kind of cumbersome and it's bothering me. I'll take this off. Okay. I'm reliving a moment in high school right now. So I decided to come in here after you guys were eating eggs. I thought the least I could do is dress up for you guys a little bit. Um, and I decided the best way I could get your attention is to choose something that in this current um, metroplex, this Texas where we live, is so polarizing. So <laughs> you, you either right now, you are mortified right now, and you are like, I do not understand you Texans. I do not even get the mum thing. I don't get it. It's just, I don't get it. Or you are like me and you're like, oh my gosh, it has lights. So cute. Um, isn't that cute though? Hey, here's the thing. I had this brilliant moment after last week and I thought, oh, I have a great illustration for last week's lecture. And I thought, hey, that ain't going to stop me. I'm going to bring it this week. You remember how we talked about like the, the desires of the flesh and how we're so bad at taking something that's so pure and beautiful and then we mortar, we just like make it crazy. And I thought, oh my gosh, guys, that's homecoming mums. <laughs> right? Perfect example. If you're trying to explain that to someone, the desires of the flesh, we take a beautiful flower and we do this to it, <laughs> right? No, it's lovely, and I thank my precious friend for bringing it to me so I could wear it because I haven't worn a mum in a few years, just like five or six, like just a couple. So cool. Y'all can just look at it. I turned it off, though, so it won't be lit up. Well, yeah, let me, um, let me pray, and we'll get started on this week's lesson. Father God, um, thank you for laughter. We thank you for truth. We thank you for, um, God, you're just, I love when you show up in ways that, it, you show up when there's eggs, you show up when we have mums on, and, and you show up when there's hard truths that are just hard to understand, but you want us to know you better. Um, Lord, thank you for being that God. And we thank you for sending your son. We pray today that we can come to know him in a deeper way, and we walk out of here today, and that we have a new knowledge and a new understanding and a new way to use wisdom that comes only from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I really do kind of wish I could wear it the whole time. Uh, let's open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And remember, we're starting in verses 18. We're going through 29 this week. So if you'll remember last week, besides, you know, the mum thing and all that, Last week we talked about um, those tests. Do you remember that? If you were here, if you listened, there was the test of obedience and the test of love. And remember I told you don't flip out about the word test. It really is just kind of an evidence. In other words, if you're obedient in the ways of the Lord and if you love people with a regard that people look at you and go, how does she love like that? That's evidence of your faith. That's evidence of your relationship with the Lord, okay? It's not like those things have to exist or you're not saved. They're evidences. Well, this week there's a third evidence or test, 
and it's called the test of truth. It's called the test of truth. And so what I found when I was looking through this, I thought, hmm, you know, this little section that we're reading, it really does break out into two parts. It's like this warning, you know, like big, big lights flashing like, like a mom. Oh, another illustration. Yeah, the lights flashing. It's like, it's like John gives us this warning. He gives the, um, the people that are reading these letters, he gives them a warning. But then he also, he, he also gives them a calling, doesn't he? He calls them to abide. Remember at the end of the lesson we talked about the word abide quite a bit. So we're breaking it out into two parts today. And we're going to cover the warning and the calling. Okay? So that's, that's what we're going to do today. Um, so... Like I said, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And here's how we're going to start. I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. That's kind of where John is really laying out this warning to his audience. Okay? And it's a warning to us. And I think you're going to see that once we get into it a little bit. So let me read those verses to you. You probably have them all memorized by now. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Now let me time out. How many people were wigging out because of the word Antichrist? Yes. You should all raise your hands because I know you're all lying. It's, when you read that, right, it creeps you out a little bit. But we're going we're gonna to open it up a little bit and we're going to find out exactly what he's talking about here. So continuing on in verse 18. It says, Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it might become plain that they are not, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you ha- all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Do you hear that? Put a big star by that verse. I write to you. Not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of truth. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Wait, did I go too far? No, I did. Okay. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. So I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him so we're going to stop right there a lot of I don't I didn't get to sit in on any of your discussions today and I'm going to guess that there were some there were some words and some phrases and some things that just made you just wonder what on earth is happening am I right this is what I want you to understand. Um, before we talk about, we're going to break the warning even down a little bit. We're going to talk about the timing, that whole last hour thing that we were all like, what? Wait, it's the last hour still? It's a really long hour. I don't really understand. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. But before we start, I want you to pay attention to something here. In verse 18, what's the word that he starts it with? Children. 
right, children? Remember when we talked about um, John discussing with us in, in, in verses 12 through 14 all the different people in the audience that he was talking to? Remember that? And remember how we said sometimes theologians look at that and when they see the word children, they think he's talking about the entirety of the believing community, okay? So when you see this and you approach this, think of it that way. Think of it as he's talking to believers. He's talking to people who do know the Lord, okay? They know the Lord. Listen, um, it's important for us to understand this. What are those things? I've had a couple people ask me, well, how do I know if I know him? How do I know? How do I know if I know him? Let me, let me just share. I'm going to just go off the text just for a quick second, and I want you to hear something, and it may be for you, or it may be for your neighbor. I don't know who it is for, but listen. When you think about the teachings of Jesus Christ, you think about it in this way, okay? For those of us that don't have our Bibles memorized, I don't. I, you, some of you might. I don't. But if you don't know every detail, I want you to understand this. The truths really appear this way when we teach them. There's tenets, there's teachings, and there's taste. Have you heard that before? Some of you have. If you go to this church, Ron says that sometimes. There's tenets of truth, there's teachings, and there's taste. This is what you need to understand. Tenets are those things that are non-negotiable. If you profess to be a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ, these are the things that are non-negotiable. Okay? We'll go over those in a minute. Then there's these other things that are teachings, okay, that, that we get all, I think we get more wigged out and more buried in these things than any tenet there ever was. These are things like um, creation. Was it literal? Was it not? Was it, is it young earth theory? Is it, what, what, it, what, do we, what is it? You get things like um, denominations that have different, um, they have different traditions and different beliefs about some of the things they do. Baptism. Oh gosh, guys, that's a hot one, right? We all have these different opinions. Those are all teaching. Church leadership, all those things, okay? Those are teachings, and they can be put aside because they're not non-negotiable. We can all approach the throne and have different opinions about those things. Amen? Yeah. Then there's the taste things. Then there's taste. Then there's, um, I don't really like the music at that church. I don't really like when the teacher wears holes in their jeans. Oh, right? Those are taste things. Those are things that um, they play into kind of how we feel, but they're not necessary for an understanding of a belief in Jesus Christ. Okay? So tenets, the non-negotiables, teachings, those are the things that we can differ on. And it's okay. We're all going to get to the throne of heaven someday and we're going to go, oh, so it was okay that we, we didn't have to argue that much about that. And then there's taste. Okay, so the tenets, this is what I want you to know. We must understand. If you are to know, if you know Jesus, if you are to really know, you need to understand that these are the non-negotiables. If you profess to know Jesus and you are a Christian, these are non-negotiables. Okay? The first one is this, that the Bible is inspired and complete word of God. It was inspired by the Lord, it is complete, and it is the word of God. The second, that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. Now listen, keeping this in mind, Hebrews 2, 16 through 18 reminds us that, that while he is the Son of God, he was holy man and holy God. It's important that you understand that. Because when you have a Savior who dies on the cross, he had to be holy man. The third thing is that we are sinners and we can only be saved through grace by our faith in Jesus. That's it. We are sinners and we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. That's Romans 3.23. Every one of us. 
The fourth thing is that Jesus died as man's substitute on the cross and rose from the dead. That he died and then he rose. Fifth, salvation is achieved by grace alone. Underline alone. By grace alone. Remember, I don't want you to get confused about the whole obedience and love thing. Those are so important and they're so evident of our relationship with the Lord. But that's not how you come to know the Lord. You come to know the Lord through grace alone. Nothing that you do. It's what he did. Six is that the Holy Spirit indwells in true believers. And that's, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I've had people ask me before, like, I don't know. Like, do I have the Holy Spirit? Do I know Jesus? And you know what's kind of interesting? It always seems like the people that ask that question are usually the ones that do. You know why? Because you are conflicted and you have a heart for the Lord. And you are hoping and hoping and hoping and hope. So if that's a concern of yours, say a prayer, talk to the Lord about it, but understand that your concern about it tells you right there. And the last one before we move on is that one day Jesus will come back. That one day he's coming back. If you believe that this is true, it says one day he is coming back. Okay? Those are the non-negotiables. Here's a principle before we move on principle for this is that the hub of Christianity is a person, not a set of rules. The hub of Christianity is a person, Jesus Christ, and not a set of rules. Everything is based on him. Okay? I feel like we need to understand that before we move into the rest of this stuff. So when he's talking to children, he's talking to people that he knows know the truth. They're believers, okay? So let's move on. We're going to move on to that term, the last hour. In verse 18, he gives this time frame, right, that is just crazy. And you're like, wait, I don't even, this was 2,000 years ago, and why is this the last hour? He gives us a time frame that seems a little confusing. Um, A couple things I want you to think about when you see those words. So, like, let me reread that for us. It says in verse 18, it says says this, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. The last hour. What does that even mean? What does that even, I don't even understand that. Well, listen, here's um, here's what I found when I did my research. I found this. Number one, jot down 2 Peter 3, 8. That's a pretty great verse to kind of just have in your back pocket. You know why? It reminds us that he is God and we are not. He is God, we are not. God is not limited to time and space. And so we find that a lot in the Bible. There's a lot of questions about different um, parts of the Bible that, that have time laid out. And we don't really know, is that literal? Is it not? What did it mean then? But just understand this. You can rest in that. Sometimes you can rest in the not knowing because you can trust a God that does. The second thing I want you to know about that, that term, the last hour, is consider this. It is an entire period of time, okay? It's the entire period of time from the first coming of Jesus. That's when he came to earth. Remember, he dwelt among us and John and all the gospels. We hear about that. Then he died on the cross, rose again. He's at the right hand of God now. And now we're waiting for what? The second coming of Jesus Christ when it's all going to be set right. So we're in this period in between. We're like in the in-between part. And that's what this last hour is indicative of. Now listen, that being said, it's not, you know, 
probably not a literal hour, since again, this was written 2,000 years ago. It's a period of time, but I don't want you to miss the fact that he here, when he says last hour, he's evoking urgency and imminence. Did you, did you feel that? That he's like, hey guys, don't miss it. You're about to run out of time. The clock's ticking. Come on. It's urgent. I thought of, well, a friend of mine actually made me think of this example. And, it, and it's hard, but I think it's a good example because I think a lot of us at this part of life, we've, we've gone through something like this. I had a good friend, one of my best friend, and um, she suffered a very painful two years of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then finally um, went home to be with Jesus. It was hard. It was really hard. It was in my late 20s, and, and all of it was awful and hard. All of it was terrible, except for this, that my friend Kim said to me, and it ended up being almost barely a week before she finally passed away. And you know what she said? I couldn't believe it. I still can't hardly believe it. She said, this has been the best two years of my life. And I'm like, you are on drugs and crazy. She had two little, little boys, five and three, wonderful husband, two years of fighting this deadly, awful, horrible poison and told me it was the best two years of her life. You know what I thought about here? I thought about this. Kim did not know the exact time that the Lord was going to take her home. We didn't have that, that exact last hour. We didn't know, right? But there was an urgency in the way she lived her life in that period because she had this period of time that was the last hour, right? And so when you look at this, when, when John is trying to explain to this, hey, guys, this is super-duper important. Don't just put it off. Now, I also want to say this, and this is soapbox. Don't obsess, can I say that with love? Please don't, please don't send me emails about end times books. I love it. Read them. That's great. Study Revelation. Study God's word. But don't. This is now. It's urgent. It's imminent. But we also have to be in the now. Amen? Like we've got to tell people about Jesus, not be like hiding in a bunker because we're scared. You know? This period of time is a fleeting moment. Not necessarily a fleeting moment. It's a period that marks a new stage in how God's dealing with the world. That's what John's telling them. He's saying, we were in this other stage before when Jesus was walking and talking and hanging and healing and making loaves and fishes, right? And now we're in this new part. And it's urgent and we have to pay attention. Okay? So last hour. So that's what he's talking about. That's the warning there about the last hours. Now, what about this other part, this other word, the antichrist word, the word that makes me think of scary movies and stuff and I start freaking out, thinking, why do we have to study this? Can we skip this part? I would love it if we could skip this part. But what do we know about God's word? Every single word has purpose. Every single verse was written for you, even though not all of it is about you. Okay? Every word was written for us. Not every word is about us. Let's take a look at this whole, this whole Antichrist thing. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that you know only John uses this term in the whole Bible. Do you know that? And he only does it in, for, in this, this letters. That's it. So <laughs> good riddance. We're going to be done with it soon. But John uses this term. And you know the thing, the whole, the whole word antichrist, if you stop um, letting the scariness of it kind of affect how you look at it, if you break it down, it really has a very succinct meaning. And it's this. It means um, instead of Christ. Or it means opposed to Christ. So you take the Christ, who is Jesus, whom, remember, 
all of these believers, even the Old Testament, this whole thing, that whole Old Testament, that whole left part of your Bible is pointing toward this Christ that's coming, pointing towards the Christ that's coming. And so there's an understanding that there is a Christ that is coming and he's going to reign, okay? They know what that is. So when John uses the word antichrist, he's basically saying these are things that set themselves up that are in direct opposition with that Christ who is Jesus, Okay? In direct opposition. When you read, starting in verse 18, there's really kind of three parts here. If you read the NIV, it actually says, in the very first, it says the Antichrist. And then the second part of it says many, many Antichrists. Did anybody have see that? Okay. So really, this whole term, Antichrist, can kind of be broken down into three things. There is the proper name, proper name, Satan. That's, that's Satan who was there in the garden in the beginning. He's the one that will rise up against Christ and against the believers in the end times. Okay, the one, the guy, that's the proper name. There's antichrists, that's that plural that we see, and we're going to learn more about what that means in just a minute, that are happening right here in this world right now. And then there's this other idea that it's kind of like this spirit of evil that is behind falsehoods. Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean like, okay, so like in your questions this week, in your homework, was there a time when you were answering, when you were talking about how that whole idea of false teachers and antichrist kind of affects your life? And sometimes you can't necessarily name it, right? Like sometimes it's not like a specific person. Maybe it's an idea or maybe it's um, a movement or just a feeling that takes you and starts pulling you away from what you know to be true about Jesus. So that's the idea of, of that evil spirit kind of thing. Those are those things in the world that make us take something like a beautiful flower and turn it into, well, this was lovely. But, you know, there's those moms that are the crazy ones, right? So that's kind of the idea. Those are the three different kind of um, ideas when John's talking about Antichrist. And he uses that word a couple of different ways. Here's um, what we need to understand. He has very specific things he wants us to understand about this idea of Antichrist. Okay, and, it, and here's what he has to say. There's, there's uh, three things. He wants us to understand this, that the Antichrist departs from fellowship. Departs from fellowship. What does that even mean? Verse 2, 19, it says, they went out from us. Did you catch that? I think he said it like a couple different times, a couple different ways. They went out from us. They went out from us. Well, this is the first direct statement where he's talking directly about those people that left the church. Remember, I've said it like every week now. Those Gnostics that are taking, they're like in the church and they're acting like, yeah, we're part of it, man. We're, yeah, kumbaya. And then they're like raising up their ideas above God's ideas, right? And so those are the people he's talking about. They went out from us. Can I say something here? I don't mean, like, don't, okay, if somebody leaves your church because they, you know, don't like the music, don't, like, call them a Gnostic, okay? Don't get mad at them, like, say they're evil and the Antichrist, because that would not be cool. It's not what I think we're supposed to do. Um, there's a difference in being somebody that just leaves the church because there's differences and a person that fundamentally doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and is trying to elevate truth, I mean, excuse me, falsehoods above truth. Do you understand that? There's a difference. Remember, we go back to the tenets and the tastes and the teachings thing. Teachings and tastes, you're going to have people coming and going your whole life that don't agree with you on that stuff. That's okay. Okay? Did you know in this text, this is kind of interesting, John uses the they versus us five different times. So he's starting to show you the divide. The divide between those of us who do believe 
and we know Jesus and we know who Jesus is and we have hope in Jesus and those who pretended to but didn't. Okay, they versus us. Um, important here to note, I didn't understand this fully and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my hardest to, to make sense of it here. Have you ever heard of the term church, the big C church? Anybody heard that? Oh, the big C church. And you're like, what? I don't know which kind I go to. I go to little church. I don't know, big church. What is that? So there's this idea um, that there is a big C church and a little C church. And what that means is this. It's two parts, really. There's an invisible and a visible. Am I freaking you out yet? Is everybody awake? Here's what I want you to understand. When I say little C church, I mean this. It's a visible place that we gather to worship. That's this place, okay? When you are in the little C church, you know what that means? You are comprised of Christians and non-Christians. How about that? You don't know what that girl sitting next to you. You don't know what she believes. You don't know what. That's what this place is about. Come, come. That's the little C church. Now, in God's word, when you see reference to the church with a big C, you know what that means? That is an invisible body of Christ, meaning this. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not an event. What it is, it's true believers. It's true believers. When I say the big C church, when I have expectations for the big C church, I have expectations for my fellow believers, and that's who John is talking to. Okay? That's who John is talking to. And that is, just if you have a reference, you want to go look at Romans 12.5, talks about that. True believers. True believers in the body of Christ, okay? So that's the difference. You need to understand that. So when he says they departed from us, it's not like, guys, it's not like they were these strong believers who accepted Jesus and then they turned away and walked away from their faith. They did not ever truly join the big C church. They never believed in Jesus as their Savior. They knew of him. They sat in church next to people that believed, but they did not. So... They departed from fellowship with the true believers, okay? A quote I found, which I think is so true, the greatest danger to the Christian church is from within. The greatest danger to the Christian church is from within. True then, true now. The second thing that the Antichrist does is the Antichrist denies Jesus. And you're probably sitting there going, okay, I'm going to check out right now and you know, this part I don't. I don't subscribe to anybody or anything or any ideas or I don't align myself with anybody that um, denies Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you, know, do you know of any people that you follow or you believe that warp or reimagine truth about Jesus? You ever heard that? You know of anybody, don't name names. You know of anybody who says, well, he may have been a martyr, but he, he wasn't a savior. He may have died on the cross. That's super cool because he seemed like a really good dude, but he was not a savior. Do you know of any ideas or any places or any people in the world that say things like, well, he was good, but he was not God? There's a lot of ways to get to God, right? That is denying who Jesus is. That's one of the hardest parts. Amen? One of the hardest parts about being a believer, right? When you talk to non-believers, one of the hardest things. One of the hardest parts about being a believer when you know people that are not believers and you just want to hug them and then shake them a little bit. Right? It's hard. It is hard. But let me tell you this. It is not an exclusive club because the Lord Jesus died for every person, whether they believe it or not. Inclusive. So, Antichrist, 
denies Jesus. Oh, excuse me, departs from fellowship, denies Jesus. And the third thing is deceives Christians, deceives Christians. Verse 26 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Trying to deceive you. Let me tell you this. People that deceive are persuasive and they are dedicated. And oftentimes they're they're charismatic, right? I think. That's why they gain popularity. Um, You know, there there was this battle cry during the Protestant Reformation. And I don't even know anything about any of that. So I'm not going to pretend like I do. But I love the battle cry. The battle cry is this. We have word and spirit. We have word and spirit. And, and it really boils down to that. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have his word, because we call this true, right? And then we have the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. So with those two things, we can fight for what truth is. Let me clarify something here. He, he goes on to say in verse 27, he says, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, meaning Jesus, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So you read that this week and you still came to Bible study. I'm so happy. Good job. Listen, just to clarify, jot down Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, okay? And what that means, what you need to understand about what he's saying there is he's saying this. He's saying that um, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you must test teachings of men. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have a pastor here who is maybe the most humble person I've ever known. And he will say many times, over the course of many classes, I mean, many church services, he will say, if you're not taking what I say here about this word to the truth and comparing it, remember holding it up side to side and going, I don't know, then, then, then you have to ask yourself some questions. What am I believing and who am I believing? Because am I believing the Lord or am I just believing a charismatic person that wears mums and talks a lot? Don't believe me. Believe him. Okay. So he departs the Antichrist, how you can tell, how you can identify them. Departs from fellowship, deny Jesus, deceives Christians. And let me, let me ask you this without making eye contact. Um, what is your role in all that? What is my role in all of that? Do you, do you, are you finding yourself asking that question? Like, who am I in the, in the big scheme of things? Well, um, am I a believer? Or am I something else? Because uh, Warren Wearsby says this. And it's a quote I love, hate. He says this, A person who professes to be a Christian, but who does not live in obedience, love, and truth, or I would add, who doesn't attempt to live in obedience, love, or truth, right, is either the deceived or the deceiver. Are you the deceived or are you the deceiver? Or are you the believer? Um, that, like, that's hard, you know, because you think about like, am I the person that's leading people astray? Because sometimes, you know, you got to ask yourself that question, like, Lord, what am I aligning with? The principle for this section is this. It says, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What you believe about Jesus Christ and how you live determines your role in the story. What you believe about Jesus Christ and how you live determines your role in this story. Remember, it kind of goes back to that whole tenets, teachings, and taste, right? I really, I love y'all. I don't really care what you think about baptism. I'm being honest. I don't care about church government. I mean, I care, guys. But what I care about is do you understand the tenets of the Christian faith? Do you understand who Jesus is and why he came and what that whole thing is about? 
That's what I care about. The rest of it is gravy, right? Well, that's the warning. We're warned. We're warned about this timing. We're warned about these, these people and these forces in this world that want to lead us astray. And then we're called, aren't we? He calls us to do what? It's that big word on the cover of your book. Abide. He calls us to abide. What does that mean? Um, you talked about it a little in your homework. I think you defined it and dug down into it a little bit. But we're going to take a little different approach. I'm going to read verses 28. This is chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And he says this, John says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Has been born of him. Abide in him. That's the call. So abide, when you defined it this week, I, it was really cool to hear a lot of people had different ideas. And this is what I wrote down. I wrote down, and I used the message, and I used some, some commentaries to come up with this, that living deeply with Jesus is abiding. Living deeply with Jesus. And to take it a step further, John MacArthur says it like this. He says, abiding signifies a permanent remaining in Christ and guarantees a believer's hope. Abiding in him means a permanent remaining in Christ, even on your bad days, girls, even on your bad days, and guarantees hope. That's pretty good. So what do we do? Where do we start? How do we, what does that even mean? What do we do if we're going to try to abide in Christ? I don't even understand what that means. Well, let me tell you this. First thing you need to understand is this is an active, ongoing thing. This is not a passive, one-time, check-the-box thing, Okay? Grace doesn't work like that. It's new every day. I think that's in here somewhere. So a couple of things I identified when I was looking through this that, that I thought all of us could, could use as we're walking out and going, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I believe. Now what? How do I abide in you? How do I remain in you? Well, here's a couple of things that I want you to take with you. And the first is this. Identify the enemy. Identify the enemy. You know, um, we're going to talk more about Holy Spirit in just a second, but I want you to think about this. Do you have conflict in your soul sometimes? Are you sometimes, like, I know I have been, I have been places before where I'm listening to a speaker, and I'm not saying that they were, I'm not, I'm not making any assessment on what they believe, but I, I will tell you this. There's been times where I'll sit there, and I'm going, I don't know. I don't know about this. This feels weird. doesn't feel right. I just don't know. Have you ever had those moments? Have you had a conversation with somebody where you all of a sudden this person's aligning with you and you're like, yeah, this is our thing. This is what we do. This is how we talk. And all of a sudden you kind of realize, what am I, what am I getting in line for? And you start having that, that little conflicting spirit. You ever had that? Don't ignore that. If you know Jesus, I don't mean to sound hokey. But you know what? Sometimes that's what he does. Sometimes he just goes, I, I, well, I heard Beth Moore say this one time and I, I loved it. Just imagine me with really big hair right now and really big earrings. She said this. She said, I have prayed for the Lord to give me a physical pain or a physical sign when I'm not in align with him, alignment with him. Whoa. She's like, there's been times where I have begged God. Okay, I don't know what I'm walking into. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know what these people believe. But will you give me a physical sign? I love that. That is an attitude of like, I, I want to understand the Lord that way, right? Identify the enemy. 
Obey that conflict you have in your soul. The second thing is immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. Immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. I'm going to say it this way. Um, I said before that the Bible, the whole Bible was written for me, but it's not all about me, right? But let me encourage you in this way. Don't just, don't just pick little parts that are easy. This week you did not pick parts that were easy. You studied really hard parts. But this Bible is a whole, whole thing. It's not just the little parts that are easy. It's, it's taking this whole entire thing and asking God, what does this even mean? Okay? So identify the enemy. Immerse yourself in truth. You're doing that. The third thing, arm yourself with wisdom. Arm yourself with wisdom. If you were in church here this week, Ron did this whole thing about wisdom. And I thought it was awesome because I loved how he broke it down for me, explaining the difference between knowledge and understanding and wisdom, because they're two different things. Okay, do you realize that? So if you say um, that I want to arm myself with wisdom, which, by the way, jot down Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10, that verse says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So think about this for a second. If you love the Lord, if you are seeking after him with all you have, if you are trying to abide in him, you know what comes? Wisdom. And here's how. Because knowledge is facts and information, right? That's what knowledge is, facts and information, objective information. It is just, that is what it is. Understanding is meaning and reason, okay? But you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is when you're able to judge correctly and follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. Did I just, did everybody, did I lose, are you all asleep? Let's, how about this? Let me put it in practical terms. This was another Ron thing. It's a quote. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in the fruit salad. Okay? <laughs> Took you a second. Y'all are food coma. Knowledge is understanding but wisdom is applying that understanding and making right choices. Amen? So we can identify the enemy. We can immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word. We can arm ourselves with wisdom. And the fourth thing is this. We trust him. Trust God. That sometimes is the hardest thing of all. Amen? To trust him. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, guess what, guys? Great news. He's like all up in you. That Holy Spirit thing, that's a real thing. He's with you. He's not just this entity that is only at the little church and sits in the blue chairs and sits and judges. And that's not who God is. He is in you if you know him as your Savior. There's some freedom in that. You know why? Because um, Romans 5, 5 says it like this. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That means I can have confidence in that. I can understand things. Like it sounds really weird, but sometimes I open God's word and I'm like, I don't really get this. I know y'all probably don't do that, but I do it sometimes. And I really do. I'm like amazed at how if I stop and I pray and I go, Lord, help me understand. I don't understand. I don't really want to do this right now. I don't want to read this. Will you help me? And it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy sometimes, right? Anybody ever had that experience? Sometimes when you ask the Lord to give you understanding or give you desire for his word, he just, something weird happens. It's not a coincidence. You know, this is how you know you have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you these two things because I know a lot of you, a couple of you have asked about this. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you two things, and this just came from, from my brain and a lot of praying, so I hope that you take this the right way. The first is this, Galatians 5, and 23. You know what that is? 
That's called the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that means? Those are unnatural things that you cannot conjure up on your own. I'm sorry. We can't. We need the Lord to help us be joyful, loving, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and have self-control. Sometimes those are those things that, that like you realize that all of a sudden you reacted in a certain situation and you're like, whoa, man, that could have only been God because that was not me. Had those moments? That's the Holy Spirit. And I said it before and I'm going to say it again. And this is, um, I have no theological sound background for this other than this is just my opinion. To take that for what it is. If you're asking this question, I'm pretty sure you're all good. You know why? Because I promise you this, Satan is not asking, do I have the Holy Spirit in me? I don't even know. God, do I? Those antichrists that are trying to lead us astray and try to tell us Jesus did not die for our sins are not going, oh my gosh, do I have it? No, that's antichrist's voice, by the way. It's less scary, right? Just use that next time. Unnatural things like the fruit of the Spirit that cannot be explained by how great and wonderful you are, even though you're all great and wonderful. But I promise you're not as great and wonderful as a God who can do supernatural things through your life. Ever had people watch you go through struggles and say, how did you do, how are you doing this? Right? And then you get that chance to say, you know how I'm doing it? God. I can't do it by myself. That's how you know. The principle for this section is this, that abiding in him is this active, ongoing race that we run. Abiding in him is an active, ongoing race that we run. But God's grace gives us a fresh starting line every day. God's grace gives us a fresh starting line every day. I promise you're not going to get it all right all the time. And you're going to have days you wake up and go, okay, I abided in abode or whatever in something completely not Jesus, right? But that's what grace is. That's what being saved by grace is. That means he's not keeping a scorecard and going, well, she had a pretty bad day. He's like, I still love you just the same today. Well, let me close with this. Some questions. Am I living in obedience, love, and truth? What is my role in the story? What do I have to say about Jesus? That's really kind of what that question is. What do you believe? You got to make some decisions. You got to decide who this guy is. Am I a believer? Am I a deceiver? Am I the one being deceived? And am I heeding the warning? Am I listening to John tell me that there's urgent timing, the urgent timing of this thing? And do I recognize imposters that are out there trying to lead me astray? It's urgent, guys. And do I live deeply with Jesus? Do I live deeply with Jesus? Identify the enemy. Immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. Arm yourself with wisdom, not just knowledge, and trust God. It's a warning and a call for the people that read these letters, and it's a warning and a call for us. And so I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, difficult words and difficult text because, God, there is, there is amazing, unbelievable things that we can learn by digging into places that most people don't want to go. Um, the hard stuff is where change happens, and I thank you that you want to change us. And you never want us to enter this place and leave the same. And, God, I beg that on behalf of everybody in this room, whether they're believers 
deceivers or deceived, I, I don't know, but I pray for every one of us that we leave here changed by you. And Lord, um, if anybody doesn't know you as their Savior, God, please, will you just... Um, Will you just do that thing that you do, that awesome, cool thing where you just make it like, okay, that only could have been God. Lord, thank you um, for your son sending him here, showing us how to live, and then dying for us. And thank you for John and his words. And um, we thank you for um, homecoming moms too. In Jesus' name, amen.